This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molecule.com and enter the discount code FOOL75. It's Monday, November 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Emily Flippin and Jason Moser. How are we doing this Monday? Hey, hey. Doing wonderful. Good. That's all I can ask for. We've got lots to talk about, and we're going to kick things off with the world of Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Third quarter operating profits doubling. Jason, strong numbers across the board here with their insurers, their railroads, their manufacturing companies. And Buffett buying back $12.6 billion in stock. What does it all mean? Well, I think it means that he really likes his company so much so <laughs> that he wants to buy back more and more stock. But I mean, that makes a lot of sense, really, because we, uh, core in and core out, talk about the merits of Berkshire Hathaway's business model. I mean, they, you, you keyed in on there across the board and you started talking about railroads and energy and insurance. And, I mean, they make their money a number of different ways. And, uh, I think personally, it was really interesting to see earlier in the year they essentially lifted that benchmark that they had set for share repurchases. I mean, they they I think were were setting this little internal benchmark of 1.2 times book value as this arbitrary target. That's why they felt like perhaps it represented a good return. Um, and now, they basically are just saying, anytime they feel like it really is sensible to do so, they're going to do it. And I think they have, we, we, we can trust their judgment. I think they've earned our trust here. And uh, so, it, it makes a lot of sense to see them continue uh, buying back that stock. I, I wonder sometimes if they're ever going to pay a dividend. I do feel like there are a lot of shareholders out there that would like that, the cash in the pocket. But, Repurchases do have a material effect, and the stock has done pretty well over over the course of time. So, I've always felt differently about share buybacks. It's always made me wonder, what is a company doing with that capital if the only thing they can think of is buying back their own shares? Aha! But but I will say, in Warren Buffett's case, I think there's something to be said about. Diluting the value of the brand. If you're taking, what was it, 900 million, almost a billion dollars worth of share buybacks and just throwing it at any investment, right? I mean, at some point, people are going to take that name, you know, backed by, you know, Berkshire Hathaway as kind of less than, uh, less than what it's worth today. So, while it's not my favorite thing to see, um, I will admit that it does increase shareholder return and it's not a bad thing. So, it doesn't really change the the needle for me. But to Emily's point, Jason, a lot of companies, when they buy back shares, they're not getting that right, right? It's not always a bullish oh, yeah. sign. Well, I mean, we definitely have data that shows that, in fact, most of them get it wrong. And and when those share prices are high and they are buying that stock back, but when the you know what hits the fan and everything starts coming down, they tighten those purse strings very quickly. And, and really, if you know your business well, then that's the absolute time you need to be accelerating those buybacks. Uh, so, so we do see that that data that, that shows most companies do get it wrong. And, and again, I think that Emily makes a great point there. You have to wonder: is that money not better served elsewhere? And, and I mean, I think the old, the old argument of the dividend is is a good one because a lot of people love to get that cash in in the pocket, right? And cash in the pocket is is real. Repurchases typically do. 
help the share price over time, but they are somewhat subjective. I mean, there is no rule that says the stock market then must bid that stock up accordingly so that it reflects those share repurchases. So it's it's always something to consider. It's company specific, and I don't think you just you just take it as a always a good thing, no matter who's doing it. I think that you have to look at. Look at his stake in Apple. I think that's that's something that what is it now? Fifty billion dollars. I think they have in Apple, which for a guy who said he wasn't really ever going to invest in tech, <laughs> that uh, seems like an investment in tech. That seems like a little bit of a, <laughs> a statement, right? And, and I mean, we look at this sell-off here that's that's uh, happening with Apple over these last couple of days, and, and that's that's real. I tell you, I mean, there's they're they're trying to change the conversation a little bit there and, and move away from being just the phone company and now uh, being more than just the phone company and. So Services and whatnot, but but I do think that he is looking for businesses like that, and he'll he'll continue investing in those as well. Okay, so let's wrap this up by talking about another way that Buffett could deploy some of that capital. I want to get each of your thoughts on what Buffett's next big acquisition could be. Now we know he's buying back shares, but over the years we've speculated about different companies. Um, and and Jason, any thoughts on who Buffett might go after? Yeah, I've said this just time and time again. Say it again, I, I Jason. Feel like Say it I again. Just a broken record here, but McCormick to me is the. I just don't understand how this Spices. hasn't happened yet. And I mean, really, at this point in the game, I mean, this McCormick's a twenty billion dollar company, and they just uh, digested a pretty big acquisition not too terribly long but 20 ago. Twenty billion for Buffett—that's well, chump change. That's right? also he's he's gonna have to pay more than that. I mean, but still, I mean, that would be basically chump change. But it. Would just be such it's such a Berkshire Hathaway style business to to my mind, and and I think uh, we were talking about this on Motley Fool Money this week too, right? About how uh, the Kraft Heinz uh, numbers aren't looking all that encouraging. We know that Berkshire Hathaway has a connection there, and to me, it was just like you know, man, McCormick McCormick's been going the other way, big guy. Maybe maybe now he'll finally. Take a closer look because uh, McCormick is doing a lot of things right, and they really have uh, brought that RB Foods acquisition into the family. That 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 has panned out nicely. So uh, it's a bigger company now than than it was, you know, a year a year ago. Emily, what do you think? Well, I like a little Berkshire in my tech. Um, whether or not that's realistic to happen, you're going to think that you have two Jasons on the show after I say this. But <laughs> I would love to see. Berkshire go after a company like Teladoc, somebody who's revolutionizing oh, in the wow. healthcare space. Did Jason space. pay you to say that? <laughs> we didn't talk before we this. Have I, was, history. I was actually surprised Jason didn't bring it up himself. Uh, so that is, it's a very techie company, but I, I think it's long overdue some activity in the healthcare space for Berkshire. For years, I have have wanted. I don't think it's going to happen, but I have, of course, have wanted Berkshire to buy Costco. Um, Charlie yeah. Munger, the vice chairman, is is on the Costco board. But Buck Hartzell, one of our colleagues, and I were talking beforehand, and he kind of foo fooed the idea. Said, you know, Buffett not not huge on retail, so maybe that's just a pipe dream. But is that even retail now? I mean, I, I you know work with me here because that is one of those great membership businesses out there that we well, that we love those it, membership models, and really it it's it three trains- minutes in the show, retail, and I have not mentioned Mac? Costco. No mentions of Costco or Teladoc for the first three minutes. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't think I don't think it's just retail. It's more of an experience. It, well, it is. I mean, and to, to to that point, I mean, they have relationships with travel agencies and insurance companies yep. and whatnot. So you you do get a lot out of that membership, and uh, it's a big company, a hundred billion dollar company now. I 
that would be a big acquisition. They could do it, but that would be a big uh, a big one. I like the McCormick thing, though. I think I would go McCormick, and I, I bet I bet he would go McCormick before before Costco. Now, don't get me oh, wrong. Yeah. I'm happy to just let my McCormick shares just sit there and keep on appreciating in value over time. I mean, I'm just saying, if I was there in the Berkshire boardroom, I probably would have lobbed that across their radar <laughs> once or twice. With with maybe a Teladoc mention <laughs> as well. Okay, well, let's move on and let's talk some Lowe's. Lowe's is closing 51 underperforming stores. That's 20 in the U.S., 31 in Canada. Now, Lowe's still has north of 2,000 stores in North America. So, Emily, still a big company. But what's the story here? Still a big company, still the number two player in the DIY kind of home improvement space. So, I don't think we're seeing a Sears here. I don't think we're seeing all store liquidation. Uh, but it is always interesting and concerning to investors when you see store closers. I think what's happening is that they're finding they're just oversaturated in this space. So, they have more stores than their largest competitor and the number one player in the space, Home Depot. Uh, and they're doing less in sales. So, Lowe's has more stores it than does. Home Depot. You shared that with me before the show, and that was that that really caught me by surprise. It caught me by surprise too. But I think when you think about the person who's going to a Lowe's, um, I think Home Depot tends to go more towards semi-professionals, contractors. Home Lowe's goes towards the you or the eyes, right? The local people. You just need to go somewhere and pick up something that you're not going to be able to order on Amazon. You're saying so, I'm not semi-professional. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Uh, but you could be if you applied yourself. I do think that that was the reason why they had a lot of stores, though, right? They had to make it convenient. So. Pulling back these underperforming stores, making it closer to the number that we're seeing from Home Depot. I don't think this company is going to be, you know, the macro trends here are too strong for the company to underperform. But I do think it's really interesting when you look at their new CEO who just came on earlier this year. Uh, Marvin Elvison came on from JCPenney, where he served as CEO, and did some very similar things when he was CEO of JCPenney, closing down stores, cutting some SKUs, right, making the inventory a little bit less. So it's interesting to see him taking the same stances here at Lowe's. I don't necessarily think that, like I said, that's going to go the same way as JCPenney, but it is interesting to see the same strategy that didn't pan out for him at JCPenney being applied here at Lowe's. <laughs> if you loved what I did at JCPenney, <laughs> Jason, what do you think? I, I've always found Lowe's and Home Depot to be kind of like the the drugstore space, like the CVS and Walgreens, to the extent that they always seem to be sort of right near each other, and you just go to whichever one is more convenient, really. Yep. Uh, but with that said, I, I do find myself going to Home Depot much more often than go than I go to Lowe's, and, and a lot of that is because. The service is better. They have more uh, stuff, and and I just always know I can get what I'm looking for there. Uh, so so, for me, I mean, there's no reason. Uh, it's, it's no secret why Home Depot has been so successful for so long. I think that Lowe's probably can continue to do just fine because, as we've talked about before. They've latched onto this terrific market opportunity that appears to be pretty Amazon resistant, and as they continue to grow out that internet business, I mean, even even just incremental improvements can can ultimately result in uh, gold for shareholders. So, as we wrap up here, let's talk about a few of the numbers. Home Depot's market cap of around two hundred and ten billion, lows around eighty billion. Home Depot, um, we mentioned this earlier, but their revenue around fifty percent larger than Lowe's revenues, and Home Depot much more profitable. When you look at the two stocks, they have both beaten the market over the last ten years. Home Depot, especially, has crushed the market. How about going forward? What do you think about the two stocks? Do you have a favorite? 
So I think that Home Depot definitely has a premium applied to it right now. So they had about 100 billion in sales. Uh, Lowe's has about 70 billion in sales. So the change in market cap there and on a, on a sales basis is pretty extreme. But I think that it's the better company when you look at how it's performed, when you look at the management, and when you look at some of the incentives that they put in place for customers to be returned customers. They've done a better job pushing a pro program, uh, customer loyalty. Pushing online sales, so for me that that's a hands down Home Depot, but it doesn't make me necessarily believe Lowe's will be a bad investment. I would just choose Home Depot between the two. Yeah, we were talking about that basement project that we had done in our house, and the and the company that came in and did it got all of their stuff from from Home Depot. I was just astounded at all of the stuff. I mean, and they they speak very highly of it. Their pro program is just something they use consistently. So I feel like. Yeah, Home Depot's the obvious winner in the space. Now, with that said, I think there's the opportunity for Lowe's to perhaps outperform if the changes they make take, right? I mean, if if they really are able to become a bit more like Home Depot, really, I guess is what they ultimately have to do. If if they can do that, perhaps there is the opportunity for that stock to outperform, but I feel like Home Depot's the no-brainer, right? I mean, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, but a, but a lower bar for Lowe's, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's that's why not own both? I mean, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, y'all. Well, before we talk about our final story, I want to give a quick shout out to Molecule. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Now, Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers. It helps them better cope with their conditions and significantly reduces their symptoms. That is awesome. Now, one customer has reported reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, that she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Can we agree that it is important to be able to breathe through one's nose? I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that, yeah. Yes, so, Emily? Pretty vital. Pretty vital. Absolutely. Pretty vital. <laughs> it is vital. And Molecule helps you do that. We have a couple of colleagues, in fact, who've used Molecule. They're big fans. Jim Mueller. Aha. Uh-huh. One of our colleagues on the investing team. He is a very, very satisfied customer. And Jason and Emily, I have to ask you a question. I don't know the answer to this, but when it comes to things that are easy or hard to use, where do you come down? Would you rather have something easy to use, or would you rather have something incredibly difficult and non-intuitive to use? That's such a hard question, but I guess I'm I guess I'm not to go with easy to use. Okay, Jason, yeah, I'm always one for challenging myself, but I feel like you got to go easier. To okay, use, right? well, you are in luck. <laughs> Molecule is easy to use and has a clean and sleek design for seventy-five dollars off your first order. Visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and enter the discount code FOOL75. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and use the code FOOL75. Our final story, this is one that I was not expecting to talk about today, but SeaWorld reporting better than expected quarterly earnings. Attendance up almost 10%. Revenues up more than 10%. Now, Jason... When I think SeaWorld, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I think about the documentary Blackfish. Blackfish was this very critical documentary about SeaWorld and about their whales in captivity. came out in July of 2013. SeaWorld stock back then trading around $38. A year ago, SeaWorld stock trading around $10. Today, shares back up to $25. So, SeaWorld appears 
to be coming back and overcoming some of that? Yeah, I would. I would say you'd want to be probably cautiously optimistic here. I mean, it has been a, a tremendous turnaround. Uh, now, with that said, I mean, I, I you know I look at SeaWorld and I feel like when you look at that park space, I mean, we talk about Home Depot and Lowe's and kind of going with the obvious one there. I mean, we look at SeaWorld and you have to compare it to probably Disney. And I mean, why aren't you just going with Disney in that case? And, and chances are, probably most people are. Uh, I, I don't think my my problem with SeaWorld is. While it's unique, and I think they've managed their way around that blackfish uh, crisis, you, you really well think so? Enough. I mean, I, I think that well, documentary think... was so jarring that I I, I had I'd only gone to SeaWorld once or twice. I'll never go to SeaWorld after perhaps. That and I mean, I, I don't blame you for that. And I mean, I I haven't been to SeaWorld. I think I've been once in my life. And 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 when we were down there with our girls in Florida, it never even came up on our radar. I mean, that was just not something they wanted to go to. But. Clearly, people are going to SeaWorld and yep. and their you know own properties. I mean, it's not just SeaWorld; they own Busch Gardens and other parks around the country. But with that said, I don't think that they possess the the ability to raise prices on those tickets uh, like something like Disney. And remember when we talked about Disney back in the time of the Great Recession, and even Disney had to resort to uh, cutting ticket prices a little bit to get traffic in the door, because that's really the most important part of it all, yeah. getting people in that door. Um, SeaWorld, I, I just don't think they possess the same ability to raise ticket prices when, when economic conditions allow for it. And Disney's been taking advantage of that every year. Uh, SeaWorld, they, they don't have that same Ability. And that's got to be concerning, particularly when you look at their balance sheet, yep. which has a pretty healthy slug of debt on it and a coverage ratio, really, of just about two. You want that number to be a lot higher. Yep. And, and so, I, you just there are a lot of lot of hurdles for them still to clear. And I should add that they are. They have said that they're phasing out the killer whales in captivity. Um, but that brings up another point because that's in part what they were known for, Emily. So oh, if yeah. they don't have pricing power. And if the killer whales are going away, which I think a lot of us think that's a good thing, especially if you see this blackfish, it is brutal, you know. And I will just tell you, there's a scene where a mother gets separated from her calf, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, that that's that going to tug at my heartstrings. It's, I'm, it's, I'm, it's brutal. Yeah. It's just it's brutal. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you take the whales out of the equation. And to your point, Jason, they don't have pricing power. What what is SeaWorld? So I like to think about these types of things split into two. There's experiences and there's activities. Disney is undoubtedly an experience. You have people who say, I'm like, one of the things I want to do before I die is go to Disney World, yep. right? Kids want to go to Disney World. It's an experience. SeaWorld used to be an experience. It used to be an experience because of the orca shows. That was within itself an experience that was kind of quintessential when you were growing up as a kid, you know, getting splashed by the orca tail. I think with Blackfish and phasing out the orca program, you're looking at something that is now an activity. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but I agree that it doesn't have the pricing power that an experience has. So, theme parks, their activities, uh, fairs, their activities, SeaWorld now is an activity. So, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the glory days of SeaWorld being that quintessential once in a lifetime experience that you'd get when you look at a company like Disney or a park like Disney. So, for me, it's, it's lost a lot of its power because of that, of course, ethically. That's a good thing for for people, right? You don't. After seeing Blackfish, I'm sure people are like, I'm never going back to SeaWorld because of that. So I don't think they should go back to to Orca shows. But without the Orca shows, they're really lacking something. Okay, so what about the stock going forward? 
I, again, I mean, I think it's the stock has made a tremendous comeback from the lows where it was, but. I mean, investing is we know is all about the future, and and when you look at a, a business like this, that I, I question its pricing power, and it's going to cost a lot of money to maintain these assets, uh, which just means the balance sheet becomes more and more of a liability as time goes on. In the face of uh, questionable revenue growth, it's just not the kind of business I'd personally want to invest in. What if I told you to Emily's point and trying to kind of reinject that experience element? What if I told you? Okay, work with me for a minute. SeaWorld, you add that that show where the monkey rides the dog. Have you ever seen that? Where the <laughs> monkey rides around the dog and the monkey wears like a cowboy hat and bandana? Uh, you know, do, you think, do they do they have the brand permission to do that? And and I want to make sure the monkeys are like treated ethically and not separated from their mothers. I mean, and all in, that, in this age of technology, perhaps the answer really is just something more along the virtual or augmented reality side. Yeah. Where instead of of actual orcas, perhaps they just have a hologram of an orca that sort of splashes on you, but doesn't really, right? I mean, you, you sit in those uh, theaters that, that uh, what is it, uh, Universal, right? Yep, yep. And, and so, so, virtual killer whales. Maybe, maybe that's the answer, but but then that really that yeah, doesn't have that the same... Me. I want... I, I, you leave wanting more. How about, if we, how about if we pair virtual killer whales with very real monkeys riding dogs? <laughs> I just... The monkeys thing is where I'm... You're kind of losing me on the monkeys. Yeah. I don't really... I just, I just... I don't trust them, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And you'd have to retro fit the parks, and then if they got out, I mean, I mean there, there's liability. Yeah, I haven't thought yeah. through this. I no apologize. Was it world. Joe Mager no, back in, like, didn't, I, haven't, I haven't really thought through this at all. I apologize. I take Joe, it back. Joe Mager had, like, didn't the monkey steal something from him, like, on his honeymoon? Oh, I think didn't so. that happen? Yeah. They, yeah, Joe, reach out to us. Tell us that story again, if you can, Joe. If you're no, they're crafty. Thing. I was in um, Gibraltar traveling, and they, they warn you, like, if you have ice cream, if you have any food items, the monkeys will come, and, yeah. and they will they will wow. take it. Yeah. So, they're cagey. They're cagey. Okay, so as we wrap things up here, I want to give you my desert island poll. Again, if you've never heard this, you should never invest this way. It's completely arbitrary, <laughs> and it's just kind of a fun conversation topic. You're on a desert island for the next five years. You can buy one of these stocks, Berkshire, Lowe's, Home Depot, we'll throw that in, or SeaWorld. What do you think? Well, SeaWorld for me is immediately out of the question, just okay. being a socially conscious investor for better or worse. So for me, that that question really just comes down to Home Depot versus Berkshire, um, and they're they're so similar but so different. I, I think I'll have to go with Berkshire on that, but I, okay. I definitely think Home Depot is a close second. Yeah, you know, I used to actually own Berkshire Hathaway. I don't anymore. Um, I think I'd go with Home Depot. Actually, Ooh. I am just a big fan of that market. I, as as someone who likes to do that work uh, at our house, I mean, I I think they'll be getting a lot of my dollars for hopefully the next thirty or forty years. And and so yeah, let's let's go Home Depot. And if Berkshire buys McCormick, you'll own Berkshire, right? Well, there you go. Now you've got the best of both worlds. Well, there you go, Jason, Emily. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have any ideas on how SeaWorld can improve their experience or their activities, let us know. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Thanks for joining us. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.